Meanwhile, in the White Palace on Krakoa, we find a saddened Emma Frost crying. <gasps> oh! <gasps> Whoever is intruding, I am not in the mood. I don't want company. <gasps> Lockheed! <gasps> You've made it! Show me. <laughs> ah! Ah! He will pay. He will suffer. Mm -hmm. oh. How dare. <gasps> now, we'll do him right and proper. But not now. First, let's get you to the healers. Mm. But first, first, mm. let's make mommy a gin and tonic. But first, 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 <laughs> let's make some gin. Hmm. Everybody and welcome to episode 144, a very special episode of Comic Book Queers Legacy. Special. It's mostly special because I'm joined by my special co-host, Evil Jeff. Hi, Evil. Hello, it's me, Evil How Jeff. And I'm special. Meaning that I'm You are I need You help. are special. I need extra. You are help. special. <laughs> yep, yep. But we but you're not as special as the guest we will have later on this episode. <laughs> Um, later on, we will be joined uh, by the writer of Aquaman 62, dropping this week, and Aquaman 63, Jordan Clark. Jordan is going to tell uh, the story of Aqualad in a two-part story arc. Who, um, if you don't know, Aqualad is gay! Gay, 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 uh, And he gets even gayer in this story, but we don't want to spoil it just yet. We'll spoil it later with the writer himself um but evil jeff why don't we get into some hot topics what are you gonna hit Ooh, hot topics so the hot topic i wanted to bring is the series finale of agents of shield happened last week after seven seasons seven resilient seasons i must say because this was a show that we feared was going to get canceled at the end of every single season and it went seven so I'm going to ask you this. How many times did you cry? I bawled through pretty much the whole final oh, hour. Jesus it was a two Christ. hour season for series finale. It was, I mean, this was, it was a payoff for the fans who have been there every step of the way for seven seasons. It didn't get highly referential, but it did. If you were looking carefully, if you squinted just right, you saw the little things they were doing. Um, but, you know, for Whedon fans... Buffy, Firefly. Typically, the finale ends with a death. This didn't have a death? No, everyone lived. Oh, that's <laughs> so surprising. Happy. That was going to be my next question. I was going to be like, who died? Uh, well, Enoch, the Chromicon who fought with the team, died a few episodes ago. But really, and, and you know, it's so funny. They made a joke um, at the end about how pretty much every character has died at one point. Oh, <laughs> it was brought back. Um, in fact, the ending was so wonderful. It ended and they wrote this prior to the pandemic. It ended with a zoom call. Uh, the whole final episode, uh, 
they were aware of a prophecy that the late robotic character Enoch made, which was, this is going to be the, your last adventure together. And even um, when there was a, a specific scene where Daisy Quake said, this is going to be the last time we're all standing in the same room. And like, that's when the waterworks start happening. You're like, fuck. Um, but at the very, very end in kind of like an epilogue, they checked in on this Zoom call, which was like six feet under meets Black Mirror meets Disney. It was wild. So it ends with all of them sitting in a circle in the speakeasy that was a constant throughout their time traveling adventures. No matter what decade they were in, they would always go back to this speakeasy. It was a shield speakeasy that lasted uh, that the Patton decades. Oswald worked at? Yeah, that Patton Oswald ran. Yeah, exactly. Um, so they're having a conversation, and at the first character then did it. They reached their temp When the conversation was kind of winding down, the first character reached their temple and pulled something off, a la Black Mirror, and it would cut to where they really were, and it showed you kind of what that character's fate is by credit, like them taking the Zoom call Black Mirror technology off their temple and then cutting to where they were in reality. They were all virtually at the speakeasy. In reality, they were all doing their thing. And it was just, it was such a cool way to end to just kind of check in with the fate of each character while they were in the middle of it. Yeah. It was lovely. And of course, Fitz and Simmons, the two scientists, the romance, the cursed couple who fought through space and time to be together. They have a baby or something. They have a, they have a little girl. What they don't know being... is she's going to grow up to be a supervillain and kill them. Well, she's going to grow up to be Deke's mother. Oh, right. That's right. Deke, the character from the future. Yeah. Oh, right. So all in all, I just like, oh, thank you so much to the showrunners of that show for just seven seasons. I Like, honestly, it's my favorite show of all time. I've never felt closer to characters on a TV show in my life. So I cried through the whole way. Pussy. And it ends with Daisy Johnson and Agent Sousa. Agent Sousa from uh, Agent Carter and yeah. Daisy Quake Johnson. Um, everyone's saying basically their story could lead to Agents of Sword because they are now having space adventures. Those two characters together. They wound up together. Fighting Brand, in space. Do you think Brand will show up? I would love it. Well, Sword's going to be in um, WandaVision. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, Monica Rambeau is seen wearing a sword badge. Sweet. Yeah. Anyway, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., it was, uh, I mean, it's just, it's my favorite show ever. And I'm really sad it's gone, but it ended so wonderfully on this gift of a season. And now we never have to talk about it again. (laughs) (laughs) We never have to talk about it again. Uh, the, the The one thing I really loved is it ended with the opening of the Coulson Academy for people with powers and people who want to be in shield. Yeah. Super cool. Um, anyway, I think we should get a little down and dirty, Brett. You want to get a little X-y? Yeah. Because Brett, I want your X. Ooh, hit it. I want your X. Come on. Won't you game going and have sex with me? All right. All right. So we've got three X books to talk about and then a fun little game. <laughs> I love your little 
cackle at the end of that. Ooh, I'm being coy. Okay, so we are going to do what we like to do is go from worst to best. So I don't know. It's kind of a tie. It is me. kind of a tie. So what do you want? What do you want to talk about? For let's talk about Empire X Men number three. Okay. Um, why did they get different writers? Because I mean, it was so yeah. good, and now at first it's not good at all. Like what? So happened? this one number three is written by Ed Brisson, Vita Ayala, and Zeb Wells. Um, art by Andrea Brancato. Oh, you would think that would be good. Yeah, I but think so. This tie-in we liked for it felt elevated above the main book. This one feels like it's part of the main book. Yeah. It had promise last issue, and I feel that the promise was not paid off. It's just more kind of chaos. Yeah, there's just too many things going on. I was like, can't it just be about one thing? Does it have to be Ileana getting possessed and a zombie brain and all of the psychics? And it was just too... And horticulture. Like, it was too many things. Yeah, I got lost in just the heap of things happening which i guess when you bring the whole x office together they each want to bring a piece like oh wouldn't it be cool if wouldn't it be cool if yes and yes and yes and the my my kind of the way i've been looking at this book is i look at the x writers as kind of an ensemble i you know i see their zoom screenshots on twitter like they have a good time together under papa hickman so to me, this is like, oh, it's a fun throwaway. Let's all do a book together. Why not? It's a fun throwaway book. Who cares? Yeah, but can't they? But that's the thing. But is, it's a gobbledygook. <laughs> but yeah, that I think there's a point. It's kind of like, uh, and I know you're going to be mad, but mm-hmm. like American Horror Story. Where, oh, yeah, no, I agree. Totally. Where they always are like, hey, let's get together. Invent, invent, and we're going to like do all this cool stuff and do this and this and this and this and this. And then they have no idea where to go with it. And then it just fizzles out. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you need someone to come in and be like, no, this is where it needs to end. And it needs to end this way. So get there interestingly. Yeah, I mean, I love the exercise, but the focus needs to be tightened. Like we had Amal Farouk on the final page of issue two. And that's a big bomb to drop on us. And then he's nowhere to be found in issue three. I know, right? Like, and the whole payoff, like there was really no payoff of the psychics landing on Genosha. I'm not, I'm just not kind of following. What what is the point of this? What's the point of this? It either needs to be fun or it needs to be leading to some grand tie in thing. And right now it's yeah. not doing either of those. Yeah, I agree. And I hope horticulture wasn't introduced specifically for this story. Like, I hope there is intent. What if they all get killed down the road? The and you're like, oh, that's just- <laughs> I would let, oh, then it would be awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, it just, there's just so much stuff going on. And it, um, there's some interesting things that happen there. Like I liked, beast in the lab with one of the horticulture ladies kind of getting along and working together i liked that i hated the iliana twist the iliana twist iliana becomes the zombie queen of genosha because she picks up the staff that the scarlet witch yeah put together and it affects her 
Um, we don't get much Angel or Monet in this issue, and and I was I really enjoyed the focus on Angel and Monet. Yeah, and that's lost. It's kind of like these writers were like, "Oh, you don't want to write about them. I want to write about these people." Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. I'm done. <laughs> Let's move on to X Force Eleven by Benjamin Percy and Jan Basildua. I didn't realize this was the artist that draw drew um, Mr. and Mrs. X. It, I didn't, it didn't hit me until I saw one of the cuckoos. I mean, the art, I feel, is much better. Has he been drawing this recently? Yeah. Um, this is the main artist of the book, um, but there have been some fill-in artists. Because I feel like, I was like, I really like the art, but I feel like there's some previous issues where I was not loving the art. Yeah. I think anytime you liked the art, it, it was, was Jan Basel Dua. Yeah, because yeah. I loved the way it was drawn with these weird creatures coming out of the creatures coming out of the creatures. But yeah, I liked it. I just don't like the concept. I don't. It. That's what I was going to say. I hate the idea of it because that's the other thing. Is it just X Force? It's really just showing them all as like being really incompetent. I feel like throughout the run, it's like Professor. X gets shot. Uh, this like all like all of the X Men get killed, and now and now they've just reduced Quinn Choir to Kenny from South Park, where he just gets killed every issue, and I'm just like, I just I it just and then the fact that they were all so easily like, oh, the last time they had a trap inside the bodies, let's just cut this one open. Up, oh, it just kills Celia Ray's immediately. Up, oh, and now yeah. we're all under attack. I was like. Why are you all so bad at this? Like, I don't believe it. Yeah. I don't believe that you all would be this bad. Yeah, I agree. They're just really one step behind all the time. And I thought the whole point was that they're kind of one step ahead. Like, isn't, what the, isn't that what X-Force is? Like, yes, proactive? yes. And it's, it's literally like the opposite, that they're just idiots. Yeah. It's driving me nuts. And yeah. then Colossus is being a little bitch. I mean, always. <laughs> Who's that bitch with him? Speaking of bitches... Who's, oh! that, who's that girl he's fucking? I don't know, but she's like, you can't do this and you need to stay here. And Domino's like, shut the fuck up. I've had his dick she's in me. Like, I can say whatever the fuck I want. Has right. his dick been in you yet? I doubt it. This, this, to me, this book doesn't pay off the concept that Birth did. No. It just feels like it's just like a random X-Men book. Yeah. It's supposed to be about espionage and intrigue between countries. Yeah, and making hard decisions. Yeah. And like And doing question making question and then questioning yeah. morality of like, should we do this evil thing to stop these countries from doing something evil to us? Like that's the whole moral quandary right. of all of this. And not, now it's just like, nope, here's another action. People get so drawn up into the action scenes where I'm like, I they don't trust that people will you can have action but i think the intrigue is what are drawing people in to read it you don't yeah. i feel like some guys like yeah but where's all the fighting and shooting of powers yeah you'll have that at some point but that's if you have that's all it is there's no character development and there's no like actual de- like theme development right anyway fuck fuck the x force right now and like it just it felt like it picked up so they were att- are these the same soldiers that assassinated Xavier? Like wasn't there a whole story arc in in between? It was just odd to pick up here. Yeah. Like, I'm not even sure. But Who these, are these but they dissecting? but they were saying these guys had like Russian or something uh uniforms on. 
So yeah. these latest people that were attacked. So apparently there was another attack, but I don't remember that being in the comic. I feel like they're yeah, like, what's oh, wrong with us? That another... we're like, when did this? I feel like yeah. they're like, oh, here's just another attack, and we killed these people. And then that's the other thing is I don't like. I don't think just because we can resurrect people that we now should just willy nilly just start killing Kill everybody. Yeah, every it single issue it. it cheapens it. I don't want Celia raised to just die like an idiot. Yeah, stupid. Because then it's like we don't care. And then how it would literally was a joke with Quentin Quire. Yeah. Also, Quentin Quire sleeping with Phoebe. That's the most interesting thing in the entire comic. Right. And that she's the one cuckoo that wants them all to herself. Well, yeah, because all the rest of them are fucking cable. That's complicated. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yep. yep that's, that's complicated oh God, where they're confused. all fucking cable and one of them's fucking yeah. Quentin. <laughs> I mean, it feels disconnected, disconnected also. Well, I think that would be interesting if that was then brought up where cable's like, hey, um, I noticed... I've fucked all the other cuckoos except you yeah so what's up and she's like i don't want you i i want a bad i want more of a bad boy yeah that's interesting i mean it, like if you're gonna go here with Qu- i mean and maybe the i don't know maybe the schedules got fucked up but at least mention that like my sisters are all date. We're, we're all dating cable but i really want to date you but like, this might play a part in the game we're playing later on let's i'm just going to say this oh i love it um so the end of X-Force, we have a new bad guy show up. And guess who is in my top five list of X-Men villains I couldn't give a shit about? Mikhail Rasputin. Ever since the 12, I have had an aversion to Mikhail Rasputin. Okay, I liked him when he first appeared in the X... It was X-Men. The, the No Uncanny, just X-Men. I liked that um, run, where then he like went with the Marauders and sided with... Uh, uh, what's her name? Who's the leader of the Mara- uh, not of the not the Marauders? The um, who are the people that live in the in the underground? The Morlocks. The Morlocks. Callisto. Remember when Callisto and him like teamed up and tried to kill all the X Men, and then they like all oh or vaguely, vaguely, vaguely. That's when he first showed up. I thought that was fun. I don't. Re- I didn't read the Twelve. That was in my late nineties. The X Men are bad. I'm not. This is Be too glad. boring to read. No, it isn't. I have the thing where I'm like, I'm going to read all of this. And it was like, I couldn't get through it. Oh, it was garbage. What happened in the 12? Wasn't that the one with Joseph? Like the Ma- Magneto Joseph version? Yeah, that- it turned out Ugh. that the 12, the 12 was like a way for Apocalypse to ascend to become like the master of all reality. And the 12 were like the mutants that comprised like the fundamental elements of reality. Like fire ice compassion like it was really stupid it was deeply stupid it sounds really gay it was so, <laughs> hey i'm kidding Sorry. it sucked and mikhail i believe was one of the 12 okay uh whatever though he but that's is, the thing is what happened to him i thought he was dead i don't I, I thought he was dead too but he's a reality warper right so who knows but that's the thing also, is if he's a mutant, reality and he, if he's a mutant why is he not on krakoa why is he part of right well, he's also Russian as fuck. Well, I mean, I guess if he's Russian, I can understand that. But I really thought he was dead. So the only way he'd be back is if he was, I don't know. And then his Omega Red has his own thing with Russia that's not connected to the. I Wait, feel like- and also, isn't the cover of this Colossus fighting Omega Red? Yeah, Omega What's Red happening wasn't even book? in that. Yeah, it's, well, we know now covers have nothing to do with what's on the inside anymore. I know this. Um, Mikhail Rasputin, though, he kind of looks like, like, the leather daddy kinky colossus and i'm yeah. into that yeah. yeah 
Oh, you know, I mean, who do you mm. think would be better in bed, Mikhail or... Oh, Mikhail. Oh, my God, please. Yeah. M- C- Peter, I'd be like, oh, God, fine, let me fuck you. But he, I think he'd be too like, are you okay? Did I hurt you? Are you all right? Are you all right? And you're like, just... You're like, no, you didn't hurt me. That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> just lay there. Just lay there and let me just look at it and I'll just jerk off on you. <laughs> That's all, right. all you're just good for. The- can we just get to the best book ever, please? All right. Yes. Okay. Ah! Marauders. Now, what have I been complaining about? Where the fuck is Kitty? When are they going to bring Kitty back? Are they going to bring Kitty back? When can Kitty come back? Can Kitty come back, please? Kitty still has not come back. I have been freaking the fuck out, Brett. I know. And so you text me and you're like, did you read Marauders? And I'm like, don't you tell me a damn thing. And then I just texted you back a scream when I finally read it. I just, I texted you about Marauders because I really wanted to send you that panel I sent you because I was dying yeah. over it. <laughs> so we open at the Red Keep with Nightcrawler, who, oh, Kurt, I mean, I love this man, who has written a letter daily to Kitty. So she doesn't miss anything when she returns. This man, this compassionate, thoughtful man. <sighs> but and then we cut to Kitty's dead body. Her funeral was being lit on fire in like a Viking funeral. A Viking funeral, yes. Um, and all like there's a lot of people there. There's some people I'm like, who are these people? Jumbo Carnation's there. He's so upset. I'm like, have, did you even know her? <laughs> Christian sure has he, got I'm his sure, arm around. I'm sure Emma and Kitty were getting yeah. drunk while he was doing fittings for their costumes. Yeah, and he's like, these two are done. Plus, he seems like the person that would like run to every news station um, and be like, uh, oh my God, uh, Kitty. I knew her. I'm sorry, wait, is that another camera? Hold on. Oh my God, Kitty. <laughs> yeah. Um, Kind of like Shannon Doherty's character on Heather's. That's exactly what I was referring to. <laughs> like heather how many tv stations did you go to (laughs) um i think i need to watch heathers tonight um so what i love about kitty's you should watch the tv show heathers oh i watched the first one i did like it i don't like that redhead that was mean to you at at improv I don't like him. But you know, he he, the, the irony is the main jacket he wears. My other friend worked on the show Teachers and they shared like a wardrobe person. And when the show got canceled, they were like, here, we're giving away all this wardrobe. And the and my one friend who was working on the show brought me the main the this flowery jacket that he wore. And I Oh, gave I know it, the jacket. And I gave it to my and now my boyfriend Joe wears it all the time. Oh my god. Well, good. He probably looks better in it. He does. Um, I uh, my friends were the teachers, the girls that did improv when I was doing. I know improv they're amazing. They're amazing. Yeah, they're so funny. I wish they were all. And then one of them's engaged to one of my friends, Zach. Anyway, um, oh my god, they're. I want them to have another show, but whatever. We're going off topic. The Marauders. <laughs> the, mar- the Marauders. The Marauders. Oh so my god. this funeral. The other interesting thing about this funeral is people are not happy. With Miss Emma Frost, they are not happy. There is a there is a panel. They're a little blamey. Of fucking Rachel <laughs> and fucking Magic staring oh my God. 
daggers as in like when, we're when she walks away we're gonna fuck you up bitch you this is your fucking fault that she's dead and emma just kind of walks with her head high like i can't deal with this right now <laughs> i can't deal with your lesbian drama right now it, Ileana and rachel are very prominent at this funeral that panel of them staring daggers at emma as she walks away from the funeral there is some real lesbian jealousy happening Mm-hmm. This is two ex-girlfriends like, oh, you're the current girlfriend and you're the one that got her killed. Yes, this is turning into just like the most like sapphic, lesbalicious. This book is so sapphic. I am living <gasps> for it. I'm living for this book. I am living for Marauders. Like Do you wanted, hear me? Part of me wanted to turn around and just being like, you're both jealous because you just wanted a piece of her and she wasn't ready for it. She was ready That's for right. me. <laughs> uh, oh and God. Emma Frost wearing her all black outfit, except for her white gloves and her white choker. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so it's full of lesbians. And then the scene that we reenacted so brilliantly at the top of the show. Um, lovely data entry from Charles Xavier writing his thoughts on Kitty, on Kate where he says she was the true friend that lets you know when you are being a jerk. Mm-hmm. God damn it. Mwah. Bring it back. And then indeed our entire world would have been destroyed if Catherine and her gift were not in the right place at the right time. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Give us that Whedon reference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then we get to, Lockheed being healed by the healer. Here's my question. Why is the healer always covered in bandages? <laughs> Can he heal himself? I know, right? What, is, he, is he cut? What's happening? It's like, it's a fashion statement, Brett. <laughs> Plus also, like, it. where's triage? Can he help right. out? Can oh, he I help healer. out a bit? He's Mummy Santa. I love him. Mummy Santa Dracula. Like, what, what, what the fuck is he doing? Like, I just, I'm going to help this dude out. He's He's... He's pressed. He, he's overstressed and overworked. He's overstressed. His bandages are loose as fuck. He needs a rewrap. Um, and then Emma's like, hey, Xavier, we got to try one more time to resurrect her. And Xavier's like, sure, Emma, I, I'm surprisingly cool. That's my takeaway about Charles Xavier during this whole Dawn of X thing. Mm-hmm. Xavier's kind of cool. I don't know. But, wait, what do you mean? Oh, just I from just, that writing? Like, just from that writing of what he just wrote? like, absolutely. He's like, we've done it 17 times. Absolutely. We'll do it again. Yeah. Kurt's ready. I'll do it. Let's meet up at this. He's like, yeah, whatever you need. And then like if, an, an unknown person comes up and is like, please, my mother, I've been waiting for months. My mother. Get away from me. <laughs> <laughs> is your mother one of the x-men then fuck no, off i know i would love a whole book of just like the like literally we never even go through their names of just people like of the people in krakoa who hate the x-men because they're like damn we get treated like garbage <laughs> i love it and then we get to uh, this is this for some reason is one of my favorite scenes in this whole era of x-men the scene of Dolores from the X-Desk and Storm. Yeah. I think it's because 
of the way it you of the way you see Storm through the eyes of Dolores. Then there's there's the soft reveal of this being the person from the S X desk whose entries we've been seeing in the data pages. Um, and the fact that Storm is just get it's just you never see Storm in kind of this espionage dealing with the humans like wearing this beat outfit I don't know I just loved the presentation of Storm through the eyes of Jerry Duggan and Mate Matteo Lali the creators and through the eyes of the character of Dolores I just loved it it was great it was great Dolores is in love with Storm yeah she's like wet she's like <laughs> super wet it's like but Storm she needs, looks. She look needs at her crackers for her soup. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, Storm does. But talk about like not being able to like blend in. <laughs> Seriously, amazing. Um, as somebody who lived in DC for 12 years, I will say I appreciate that Jerry Duggan got the order right of the stops. On the blue and orange line. That's true. However, Matteo Lali drew the New York subway, not the DC subway. DC subway car seats face their two and like it's like an airplane. Yeah, yeah. That's true. So <clears throat> But anyway, still love this scene. Uh, and it's really just Storm thanking Dolores from the X desk of helping them get rid of the poisoned petals out there on the black market. Poison petals, poison petals. Poison petals. The two of them are on the same side. That's good. And that's what I like. <sighs> then we get to... Although, would America be on the Krakoan side? Dolores would. Maybe next year, maybe. <laughs> Dolores is a Latina working for the United States government in a male-dominated yeah. field. I'm You're just... damn right she would be Team Storm. Okay. I love her. I wonder if she's really... Um, Bound to a wheelchair, or if that's just part of her cover. Hmm. I don't know. But I'm sure we'll see more of her at some point. Oh, I love her. They wouldn't have just thrown her in for no reason and then never brought her. Her letter page at the end, it says, um, Storm's eyes are the color of sapphires. Yeah, I'm like, honey, <laughs> honey, go rub one out and then write your report. She got that whap. <laughs> oh, have you seen that video? Hell yeah. Did you hear it cost like 200000 to do all of the COVID testing <laughs> to oh, do the Jesus. video? Uh, what did you think of that? Song? How about that line that compares, um, I don't know which one of them takes this verse, but it compares um, her pussy to mac and cheese. It's yeah, the grossest thing I think thing that's Cardi heard, B. And it makes, me, it makes me so happy. Yeah, something, some get, it's so wet, <laughs> it needs a mop, macaroni and cheese in a pot. Yeah. I, you know what the thing, the sad thing is, is I heard that and I'm like, I still like the, my neck, my back song better. That's where well, I just feel old or I'm like, it's no, my neck, my back, like my pussy and my crack. Okay. <laughs> um, but then we get to, we get to the, the pods. Um, well, wait, we do we, but I'm Emma, we get, Emma gets Lockheed. Do we talk about that? Yes. Lockheed uh, no, returns, and then she's like, yeah. bitch, show me. And then it just cuts show to, me. like, show me. Sebastian Shaw. But did he shoot her? He didn't shoot her. 
He shot a, he shot Lockheed with the net gun. Oh, that's what that was. Okay. Yeah. And so we see it's Sebastian and then she just goes, it's one of those things where she, it's like, she goes through all the stages of grief where it's like anger, rage, this, no, rah, rah. And then finally she turns into diamond form, banging things up. And then she just turns back to her form and she's like, no, no, all in due time. All in due time. I'll fucking, we'll kill him. We're going to fucking kill him. It's so Emma. But it's going to be it's, after so I bring Kitty back because Kitty's going to be the one to pull the fuck. Because I just figured this shit out. <laughs> and she figured it out. And I was still a little confused. Did you understand this of why they, they couldn't bring I her did. Back? I did because in these these husks, they these animated corpses with no soul, you know, they instinctually break out of their pod. But Kitty's reptilian brain is not wired to break through things. Because she faces. It's wired to ignore them, to phase through them, as if they're not there. So she's the one mutant whose core mind doesn't instinctually, whose instinct isn't to break out of an egg. So all she had to do was reach in and pull her out. She had a phase out, yeah. And Emma guided her. And uh, and she's back. Just like that. Kitty's back. They said all those other corpses drowned in the orange fluid <laughs> because they were in there too long. Because they didn't know how to break out. So gross. And then the Nightcrawler moment with the number 18. Wait, what was um, that? When uh, this was a miracle. It took us 100 times, but it still was worth it. Actually, it was only 18 times, but who's counting? And Nightcrawler says, 18, is that right? Hope, yeah, is something wrong? Nightcrawler, no, not at all. What was that in, referencing? Um, in the Jewish religion, the number 18 is synonymous with life. Oh. Because I think the words, there's something. There's some connection between the words that comprise 18 oh, like or how? the letters that comprise 18 and the words that comprise life. Right. So 18 is a symbol of life in oh, the I Jewish faith. Yeah. That's incredible. And there were people who complained that Kitty was giving a Viking funeral and not a Jewish funeral. To me, I'm like, yeah, but Krakoa myth and religion trumps all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this was, a, a, I thought, but like, like we don't want reference. her on the damn island. We're getting her body off the island because we don't want a graveyard. Yeah. Yep. And. Um, yeah. And so it's it's like, it's so funny how this truly feels like a rebirth of Kitty Pride, her her hair is curly again, She's and her laying first... in the bosom of <laughs> Emma Frost. Yeah. yeah, but her first words are Lockheed, "I love you, boy." Like that is that's as innocent Kitty Pride as it gets. And and then we for go Kitty to, to have this new identity. <laughs> then Pride. then we get to Kate. Then Kitty becomes Kate real quick. Yeah. And she's laying in the bosom of Emma and says to Emma, the last thing I remember is you kissing me. And Emma says, well, I do have that effect on people. Is that in a previous issue? She kisses her on the forehead. Oh, okay. Or on the cheek. Yeah. And then Kitty's like, what happened? And Emma's like, can we take this offline? <laughs> and then they're just talking telepath telepathically. And that's where it's just like, she's like, it's Shaw, isn't it? And she's like, mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. so it's basically like, oh, we're going we're gonna to 
We're going to fuck shit up. <laughs> oh, we're going to fucking kill him. Did you see the cover of Next Issue? It was the secret cover of Lockheed saying shh in that horrible font in previews. Uh, what is it? The real cover is a redo of Kitty with her fists. Oh, yes, you did send me that. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. With her, Russia, with her Natasha Leone and Russian doll curly hair. Yeah. And bangs. We love it. Shaw. We love it. Kill Shaw. But here's the <sighs> other thing is Shaw's kid still thinks that Kitty yeah. and Emma killed him when it was in fact Shaw. So I oh, yeah. I feel like this is clearly going to lead to Shaw's kid is going to jump on their boat. You know what I mean? I think he's oh, going yeah. to be on their side. And then Shaw's just going to be, I think in the end, Shaw's going to be taken down to the Krakoan prison. I agree. And then perhaps, you know, Shinobi will take over. I think he will. Cause I think he's going to come to their side and be good. And then he can take over. He'll take over uh, the, on the council, but he'll also be yeah. on the council. So yeah. I think that'll be Ooh, interesting. Ooh, that's, that feels weird. You think that feels weird? Having Shinobi Shaw on the council? Well, who else would it be? Because I feel I like it no needs idea. to be someone that's, that's doing the Shaw stuff. I wonder if we can have a more interesting um, replacement than Shinobi. Like if like if there's like a hostile takeover, like someone comes in and it's like, I'm the Black King now. And you're like, oh, Mr. Sinister. <laughs> <laughs> that's It's Farouk. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. Um, that's good speculation to think of. Yeah. Speaking Who else of, would be like business or? Oh yes. I mean, maybe that could be Angel or something or Monet. Ooh. But speaking of speculation of teams and characters, that brings us to a little X Men game that I want to play. In which Gail Simone mm. was like, "Hey, what was the hashtag?" Um, my five X Men. My five X Men of like, what would your five? Oh, five fave, yeah. What would your five fave X Men be? If you were doing a team, what would your X Men team be? And I decided that um, we should kind of think of like, what would your team be? But then if we had to choose one where it's like only more side characters, uh, what would that one be as well? Did you do both of those, Brett? Um. Yes, I did. Okay. All right, so so uh, there's one where like uh, what is his name? Um, James Gunn did one where it was like Dupe Phantom X. Who else was Ugh. in his? I don't remember. It sucked because Dupe was in it. Oh, why do you hate Dupe so much? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, I forget who else was in it, but he it was good. Um, all right. How about uh, Gail Simone? Do you remember what she said? Gail Simone. No, who did she say? Cyclops, 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 and Cyclops? <laughs> um, five X-Men. I'm just going to see if it shows up really quick. Okay. Gail Simone. Okay, here we go. Oh, uh, James Gunn. His was Dupe, Phantom X, Kitty Pride, Storm, and Wolverine. Oh, that's right. I love the Phantom X in there. Um, but where's uh, Gail's? Oh, it doesn't say what hers is. Oh, wait. Here we go. Um, oh, she doesn't list hers. She says Xavier is a freebie. Oh, that's good. Oh. Um, 
Although it looks like a lot of people are picking ones similar to mine. Um, okay, so let's, someone just put uh, Wanda. Sorry, she's a pretender. She's, Ew. She's not. Someone, Hope Summers, no. All right, going through these lists are making me angry. All right, Brett, what is your main X-Book team? What is it? All right, my, my main X-Book team. So I'm going for team effectiveness, but also like drama and characters like who I don't typically see okay um together but i think could like so i i instead of the option of these characters are such rich drama in history like i I did do that but also like oh wouldn't it be cool if you put these two together all right um so you need a leader and that leader is cyclops for my main one okay um you need Someone who the leader is close with and a psychic. So obviously I went with Emma Frost. Okay. Um, Wait, did like, you say Cyclops think... was your first one? Yep, Cyclops, Emma. Emma Frost. Um, I think you need a team heart and soul. You also need a teleporter. And I actually am fascinated between... I'm fascinated with putting Nightcrawler with any character... Because I think Nightcrawler is in, he's a character that is so comfortable to be around, but also like is very challenging to be around because he's always questioning moral compass. Okay. Um, I would love to, Cyclops, Emma, Nightcrawler. My next one is Polaris because um, I think she's an underexplored character. And I just think her power set is a power set you have to have on a team. She's so powerful. And then finally, I wanted someone, someone who Nightcrawler, I think, would have an interesting relationship with. Um, this is another character who I love putting next to other characters just to explore his relationship with them. Uh, and I think you need somebody who's like good at deduction and investigation and figuring things out. So I have Bishop. So my five-person X-Men team main is Cyclops, Emma Frost, Nightcrawler, Polaris, and Bishop. I like that. That's fun. Thanks. Mine, um, I mentioned to you before, and uh, mine is uh, would be a reason where it would just be they need a team of psychics. And of Ooh. course, since Xavier's a freebie, I guess he'd be the main point, counterpoint of it. Like... But so that is the psychics that I have. It would be, of course, Emma and Betsy, because I want my butterflies and diamonds. Yes. Um, but then, of course, there'd be Jean. But then I would also then add Cable and Quentin Choir, which would Ooh. then, with the scenario that's going on between the two of them now, with them both liking the cuckoos. I think that'll yes. be that'll be very interesting, especially with Quentin Choir driving everybody nuts. Um, Jean and Emma having their issues, Cable and Jean being quasi related. I think there would just be a lot of fun, and plus, I think there's a lot of interesting things of the type of missions that you would only need a bunch of psychics to go on. Yeah, I think that would be fun. I love that. And then there's also the reaction to this team of psychics, which is like, whoa, 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 this is um, scary. Yeah. Um, I think it would be fun. Now, we also were like, if we had to do one with just like 
like side non nightcrawlers. Yeah. Yes. So mine, um, you still need a leader, um, but I really need Danny Moonstar to be elevated um, in general. Mm-hmm. So Moonstar, I refuse to call her Mirage because her power set doesn't call for that. But we'll change that in this book. In this book, yeah, fucking change it back to the way it's supposed to goddamn be. I think you need somebody who Moonstar has a very deep relationship with, um, but doesn't exactly trust 100%, and so that's magic. Okay. I think you need somebody to counter magic, like somebody who is the polar opposite of magic, and that to me is Eyeboy. Okay. And then I think you need a powerhouse um, in like just the brute force de- um, department, but also someone intelligent and a little bit psychic. So I have Monet. And then I'm trying to think of somebody who could really balance Monet, really counter her, not be impressed with her shit at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and that to me is prodigy. So my five... Alt, my five-member alt team is Moonstar, Magic, Eyeboy, Monet, and Prodigy. I like that. I like that. Okay, so now I am going... This one is weird. The one that I'm going to throw out here. Okay. And this one, it's not even necessarily a team... But Jumbo Carnation is given a fashion line. (laughs) And this is literally just about him trying to do the fashion runway, but then battles and things keep on happening. So literally, it's his fashion line and the models that he's chosen. Amazing. So, uh, and so some of them are gorgeous, but don't want to be models. Some of, so the first, uh, model would be Megan because she can turn into anyone and she's gorgeous and and she's gorgeous and she can look like anyone. So it's like, if you need to change hair, she's perfect for fashion shows because she can just change her hair, makeup, everything just instantaneously. And I'm not counting this, but that also means her daughter, her highly intelligent daughter is going to be in it as well, but she's not like one of the main characters. The next one is I was like, we need a powerhouse, someone beautiful, but is also a bad attitude and maybe doesn't want to be there, but she's so gorgeous. And then she's kind of forced into it. I'm picking frenzy. (laughs) Love it. So she's there and they're like, we need someone like with an athletic build. And she's like, I don't want to be a fucking model. I have super strength. And like, she's there. And then to add the weirdness, I think Aurora should be another model. So we can just add Mm -hmm. her split personality. Um, That'll always throw a wrench into things. Mm -hmm. And then the very last one is Callisto gets into a fight with Mask and he gives her back her beautiful model face. And so Callisto is once again tapped to be a model. So mine, yes. it is Frenzy, Aurora, Callisto, Megan, and Jumbo Carnation. The height of fashion. <laughs> and it would be Incredible. called like X-Threads or something like that. X-Threads. <laughs> Expose. That's, we did, that was another one. That was the Dazzler yeah, PR we've company. Yeah, used that. Yeah. <laughs> Which still needs to be done. Ah. So many ideas. Um, but that ends our I Want Your X segment. 
and it begins our headlining segment and we're very excited uh we're very excited to welcome our next guest to the show uh we are here with jordan clark who is currently writing a two issue run on aquaman on the main title hi jordan how are you Ooh. I'm doing good. Yeah, it feels weird to call it a run. It's like a jog or like a light, like a like a, <laughs> a light <jump>. sprint <laughs> of two issues. Uh, but no, I'm I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Well, it's a real. Uh, I'm about to do this. It's a real deep two issues. Um, pardon the pun. Yeah. Uh, but we've 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 gotten to read through the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we are some like we're probably the first two people on earth who've read it who don't yeah. work in the comic book industry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's very exciting. Um, but before we get into the issue, uh, we've already talked. We had a little pre-show banter about mm-hmm. so, you know, we're all connected to Baltimore. Yeah. Uh, in one way, shape or form. That's where uh, you call your roots, as does Evil Jeff. For those <laughs> of you who don't know. Uh, so. Let's start, you know, at the beginning. How did you get into comics and, and what led you to, to DC and to ultimately to Aquaman? So uh, I grew up all around Maryland. Like I originally grew up in Tacoma Park, Maryland, and then I moved over <gasps> to Silver Spring. That's where my husband's from. Hey, all right. Uh, <laughs> and I moved over to Silver Spring, like around Silver Spring, like not exactly. But That's where my sister up. lives now. Wow. Look, look at all these connections coming together. <laughs> this is beautiful. <laughs> Um, so, and then, you know, eventually moved to Baltimore for college and then continued on. Um, but, you know, growing up in Tacoma Park and living in Silver Spring, um, we didn't really have any comic book shops. Like we had, we had collectible stores that children were strongly discouraged from going into because we would touch things and, you know, they didn't want us, you know, around the baseball cards or the comics or any of the other stuff. Uh, so all my comics came from like thrifts, you know, malls and uh, like yard sales and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, I, I, I was into comics young uh, through that, but also obviously stuff like X-Men, the animated series and Batman, the animated series and all that stuff. And so those were a lot of my, my comic roots come from. Uh, so, you know, as I got older, you know, I kind of fell out of comics and then when I got to college, I fell back into comics. Um, and I, I started writing comics maybe about eight or nine years ago. Okay. Um, so, you know, doing a lot of stuff on my own, self-published stuff or, you know, limited run stuff and working with, you know, a lot of friends and, and great people. Um, but eventually, um, you know, I, I had, I had a limited kind of run in with Kelly Sudaconic back when Pretty Deadly first came out, she came to uh, Jeff Might Know of uh, Third Eye Comics in Annapolis. Um, so, you know, she was doing a, a signing there and like a, a writer's talk there. So I went and kind of got a little chance to like, you know, meet her and talk to her there. But then a few years later, I had some work that I had done and saw that she was going to be at Heroes Con in North Carolina. And I was like, great, you know, I want to go and do all the stuff there. But I really just want to go and thank her for kind of like, you know, giving me that, that push to get into stuff. So I was showing her stuff there. Um, and, you know, we had a chance to talk and, you know, she was talking to her editor and we all started talking about stuff and like, it was a nice little moment. And I left thinking that was great. And I'll probably never see those people again. <laughs> uh, only just because that's the nature of conventions is you meet people and you talk and it's great and it's fine. Yeah. And not like you never like see them or, or speak to them again, but like, you know, everybody's busy doing things and, you know, life outside of the convention goes on. Mm-hmm. But a few weeks later, um, 
the editor, Lauren Sankovich, got in touch with me about doing some stuff for Bitch Planet, uh, where they did the Bitch Planet triple feature anthology. Um, so I was able to be a part of that, which was amazing. And, uh, you know, from there kind of, you know, did some more of my own independent stuff. But, you know, having formed that relationship, Kelly Sue obviously has gone on to, to work at DC and, and work on Aquaman. And, um, you know, she, she continued to speak highly of me and, and, and tell people about, you know, my work and show it to people. And so that eventually got me in touch with, you know, some of the people at DC, which got me a chance to do um, the Crimes of Passion anthology, which came out early this year. I had a Batwoman yeah. story in there. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. And then, you know, they, they came back to me again and said, hey, you know, we got this Aquaman thing going on. Um, you know, we want to do something with Jackson. We want to hear if you have any thoughts. And I was able to kind of pitch them some stuff. And they're like, you know what? This sounds like two issues of Aquaman. Do you want to do two issues of Aquaman? And I was uh, like, of course. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, a combination of obviously doing the work, uh, you know, continuing to kind of persevere and, and, you know, continue to make comments, but also, you know, it never hurts to know people, but, mm -hmm. you know, making those good impressions too. And, um, you know, continuing to maintain those relationships with people uh, out of just genuine appreciation. You know what I mean? Like people can tell when you're being kind of, you know, like parasitic and like wanting to be yeah. around them and use them for different things. But when people can tell that you just love doing things and like they can see that you're, you're passionate about it, you know, they want to support you. So, you know, luckily I've, I've had that with Kelly Sue, um, you know, and a few other people. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm at the big boys table now. That's <laughs> great. Congratulations. Awesome. Yeah. So, so it's so great to hear that hard work and ultimately how you make other people feel, uh, you know, really paid off uh, in your story. Yeah. That's just, that just feels like, thank goodness. I just feel like <laughs> hard work, you know, doesn't get the reward it should. Yeah. But it did in this case. So yes. Kelly, she's, she's leaving the title soon. Yeah. Um, she's going to, you know, close her run. Um, but there's a lot of issues to look back on. Mm-hmm. How would you how would you describe Kelly's run overall, and how does your story about Jackson kind of fit into that? Oh boy, I was at New York Comic Con when it was like it was it was kind of just announced that Kelly Sue was coming on. Yeah, and so this was kind of like her first big public appearance to talk about it, and you know the biggest thing that she spoke about there was that you know Aquaman has all these powers; he can do all these things. He's got this, this long history. He's a king. Um, but basically what his power comes down to is, is asking for help, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's the core element of, you know, what, what she calls the call, which is his ability to communicate with all kinds of, you know, aquatic life. But it's basically him just saying, I need your help with something. You yeah. know, can you help me do this? Can you help me, um, you know, accomplish this task? And it's, and it's basically, you know, the story of building community where you have Aquaman coming to Amnesty Bay you know, building this group of kind of ragtag gods and like forgotten myths um, and, you know, really like forging, you know, a, a stake in this town um, and, and kind of going through some scary stuff, right? Like he, he's kind of rekindled his relationship with Mira. They have a child now, mm -hmm. you know, it's like all these big leaps that he's making. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of, you know, great stuff with Mira too and, and her kind of taking on that, um, role as like the sole leader of Atlantis, you know, while Aquaman's been away. Uh, so she's really, you know, tied together a lot of that like high fantasy 
quasi Game of Thrones, you know, like political intrigue and all that stuff, along yeah. with just like the, the family stuff and, uh, you know, these really tight knit relationships. And so Jackson comes into it having, you know, left the Teen Titans or the Teen Titans disbanded and he, and he kind of was, you know, on his own and he finally makes the choice to come in and see Aquaman and, and to learn from him, to have that mentorship. Um, but, you know, as you will see in, in, th in this issue and the next issue, you also get him kind of starting to make those first steps into being his own person. And that comes with him kind of reckoning with Black Manta, his father, and reckoning with, you know, Zebel, you know, this place that he's technically from, but has never been to and really hasn't been allowed to visit. Um, and so, you know, we, we find Jackson before the story starts kind of making those preliminary steps to, to becoming who he hopefully eventually will be, you know, because he's mm -hmm. still 17, he's still very young. Um, but, you know, we want to start pushing him towards being, you know, this, this incredibly cool and, and, and very lovable hero. But like, sometimes you got, you got to go through some trials first. So we're, we're yeah. giving him some. Excellent. It sounds like this run is kind of defined by um, these, this, this epic scope, but also these kind of small, intimate family moments. And that really was my takeaway from your story is that it kind of balanced that really well. You've got this kind of epicness, this grandeur um, of war and legacy and, and right. all, you know, and, but then you've got what ultimately wind up being these very intimate moments between Jackson while he's exploring and someone he runs into Mm -hmm. swims into uh, <laughs> while he's exploring, which is a guard, you know, very yeah. dark who goes there. So I'm going to, I'm going to go there. Yeah, uh, I got to ask. <laughs> yeah. I got to ask now. Yeah. Is this the story of awkward lad meeting wind? <laughs> well, it's yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, and if it's not, is it inspired by it? Uh, and if it's either one of those things, what inspired you to write that? But, <laughs> so yes. Uh, you know, this is, I've been waiting to talk about this for so long. <laughs> Me too, ever since reading. <laughs> uh, so this is, I got to create this character named Hoea, who is mm -hmm. going to be, you know, a very integral part of these two stories and hopefully a very integral part of Jackson's future, you know, continued adventures. But, you know, one of the things that reading on, on you know, just previous parts of Jackson's history is, and, and just in general, right? Right when you when you're talking about queer stories, when you're talking about LGBTQ romances in comics specifically, um, you know there, there's always something bad going on, right? Like it's it's never really just two people get to love each other and meet each other and be around each other. There's always some element of kind of crisis or whatever. Always tragedy. And, yeah, and you know, earlier, you know, when we first meet Jackson, way way back when he's reintroduced in Teen Titans. You know, the, the first couple moments we see is him kind of having this, this you know, fallout and breakup with his, his boyfriend at the time where he kind of reveals himself and his powers and abilities and his boyfriend freaks out and runs away and, you know, I don't want to be with you anymore. Um, and then since then, he's kind of been, you know, not really involved in anything. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, you know, here's an opportunity, not like not only to give him, uh, you know, a love interest, but to give him somebody who sees him, who values him, who can relate to him, um, you know, comes from a similar place to him, but also just from a thematic and storytelling standpoint, it's like, but he's from a place that he can't go. 
you know, and he, and there's kind of always, there's, there's a little bit of a wedge there, uh, but the wedge isn't, you know, because they're two gay people, like they can't be together or anything like it's, it's, it's a wedge that you could fit into really any narrative, mm-hmm. you know, straight LGBTQ, whatever. Um, but to make, you know, their, their interactions and their meeting like a real sweet thing. Like it's a meet cute, like it's a meet cute <laughs> in the middle of like this big yeah. epic thing. And like, I, I really wanted to create, you know, this, this person that, um, Jackson could just be himself around. Um, uh, how do you say his name again? Uh, I pronounce it Hawaiia. You know, Hawaiia? Hawaiia. Yeah. And, that's, and that's, somebody might tell me I'm wrong later upon reading it, but that's, <laughs> that's, that's the pronunciation that I came up with. It's an, like I made it up by, you know, smushing together a couple different Samoa names. Um, but uh, I, I really wanted to, yeah, just give Jackson somebody who, you know, like here it is, like here's somebody that you don't have to pretend around, like you can be yourself around, you can kind of have, you know, these intimate tender moments with, um, and, and it's not gonna blow up in your face, you know what I mean? Well, like, it yeah. seems like Jackson is like almost surprised how like forthright Hoya is, like he starts by saying like, by calling him like, oh, is everyone as cute as you are, like up on the surface? And he's almost like taken aback of like, oh, there's no, like, I like that there's no shame. A lot of gay stories, there is always this like, oh, we should be, I'm hiding it. I'm ashamed of it. And in this, there's was like, that's just not there. It's just like, oh, I think you're cute. I'm just going to say you're cute. And that was like so refreshing. Mm-hmm. That I think there's, there's two elements that I wanted to make very clear throughout the story. One, Jackson is black, and that's something that you can see, you know, visually when you look at him. Um, and, you know, w- within blackness, there's, there's so many different variations and deviations, you know, not only just skin tone-wise, but also just, you know, in, in our community and our upbringing. So like, there's so many different ways to be black, right? His sexual orientation, though, is not something that you can see. And so, you know, from conversations I've had with, with so many of my queer friends and just, you know, listening to other people, you know, talk about their experiences growing up, you know, you, you, you always, you almost get it and then you don't, right? Like it's, we're, we're, we're hinting at it, we're talking about it, we're, we're teasing you with it and then they're just cousins or, you know, like there's, <laughs> right. just there's, something, <laughs> there's something where it's just like, oh, so it's, it's on me, the reader, to have to do all this work to you know, interrogate and navigate these characters and mm-hmm. kind of bend things to a position where I can kind of see myself. And for me, I was like, by, the, by page five, you're gonna know Jackson's gay. By the second yes. page of Hawaii, you're gonna know that he's gay. And, and that's it, and there it is. And there's no questions about it and there's no having to read into it. Like it's, it's here it is for you to, to you know, do what you will with it. But you know, for me, writing a story about, you know, a gay superhero, I really, really, really wanted that to be obviously part of his narrative, but also like not a thing that we're tiptoeing around or having to like, it's, it's there and it's a part of who he is and he's proud of it. Like he's definitely not trying to hide it. Um, And so, you know, when, when Hawaii is kind of like, Hey, you're kind of cute. You know, it's, it's, he's taken aback, I think, one, just because, you know, he's kind of a shy kid who's like, all of a sudden, like, there's a cute boy talking to me, and they think I'm cute, and like, <laughs> I don't know what to do with this information. Uh, but also, you know, because I think a lot of the times you, you, you don't really get it 
that explicitly, right? Like you, you kind of, you almost get it. You kind of sort of get it. The times where you've explicitly gotten it, um, you know, have kind of been few and far in between. So I was like, you know, we're not going to wait until the end of this issue. Like we're not going to drag this out until the end of issue two, where they finally, you know, give you the the details about it. It's like, we're going to get to it as quick as possible yeah. and we can build everything else up around that. That's incredible. Thank you for that. Thank you for that visibility. And, and sure. speaking of the more visible, uh, part of Jackson's story. You've got a story about three generations of black males in a family who have experienced, you know, kind of their own trauma um, according to each generation and that their stories are so divergent, but so connected at the mm -hmm. same time. And there's, there's a cause and effect there. Um, how do you see the story or tell me, tell me more about the story of Jesse and David and Jackson, the grandfather, father, the father being Black Manta, mm -hmm. um, it, it, sort of their relationship and their story. Uh, just could you flesh that out for us a little more? Certainly, yeah. I think really, you know, that's that's kind of the core of this these two issues is Jackson, again, kind of having to grapple with where he comes from, you know, this family legacy that he has. I mean, again, imagine not only is your father, Black Manta, who was the, you know, arch nemesis of your mentor, Aquaman. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you have all those things tied up in it. But also, like, he's a notorious supervillain. Like, it's not just some dude. It's like, he's part of the Legion of Doom. Like, he's done horrible things, right? He's not so, just a dick. Like, he's yeah. true evil. Yes. And so, you know, that's part of your family legacy. You know right. what I mean? Like, he will always be your biological father, you may not call him family, but like that's always gonna be part of where you come from. And so, you know, what I wanted to do was kind of in interrogate that relationship between Jackson and, and Black Manta, but also bringing Jesse into it. It's kind of like, uh, well, where did Black Manta come from? Like, but why is he like this? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we get, a, we get a sense of Jesse and, and kind of his background and where he comes from. And, and he's definitely somebody you know, from a generation, I, I kind of had to like make a head cannon for him since he hasn't really been fleshed out too much in the comics. Mm -hmm. But trying to think of him as, as say, you know, he's somebody who I feel like has a military background, mm -hmm. uh, you know, probably came back from Vietnam and like a lot of black soldiers throughout history, Vietnam, World War II, World War One. It's like you do all this stuff overseas, you're, you're technically a hero, you come home and nothing's changed. You know, yeah, and, and you're, yeah, yeah. you're living the same life that you were before, except maybe some people are throwing things at you now even more because you're wearing a military uniform and, you know, that triggers them in certain ways. And so, you know, his whole deal has always been, you know, if you look a certain way, dress a certain way, act a certain way, show people respect, you know, all of those things, like good things will come to you, right? And, you know, he's, he's tried to pass that down to David, David being Black Manta, and David is is taking these lessons, but he's also kind of twisting and perverting these lessons, right? Mm -hmm. Like he's, he's, he is all about, you will respect me, you know, you will, um, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to have this power dynamic that I feel like I, I wasn't, you know, given the opportunity to have. So like, if it's, if it's not something that I can have, I'm going to take it, you know what I mean? Right. And, and, and every opportunity you see him, um, he's always looking to manipulate people. He's always looking to take advantage of people. He's always looking to pervert situations to his own advantage. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's like, imagine, you know, not, you know, straight up like a Jeffrey Dahmer or somebody like that, but, you know, like a lot of these people don't necessarily come from 
horrible, terrible, broken homes. It's just mm-hmm. like they, something went wrong at some point, you know, and they, they kind of turn into these people. And so, um, you know, Jesse wasn't trying to raise Black Manta, <laughs> you know, he was trying to raise, you know, a, a good kid, but, you know, just just all these different, you know, systems and pressures working on them as a family, you know, eventually like Black Manta just kind of broke bad. And so you mm-hmm. go from that to Jackson, who was nothing like either of these two men. He's, he's, he's a superhero, he's a young black gay kid who loves tabletop role-playing games and like making dance videos and like, you know, hanging out on the internet and like, it's not, it's nothing nothing like either of these two people and so it's about okay you know i can't reconcile with my father right like that's Mm -hmm. he's tried to kill me and my mom several times probably not gonna work that out but here's jesse who is in you know you'll you'll see he's ostensibly the consciousness of jesse in a giant robot which is, you know, some of the, 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 uh, the comic books. Yeah, it's the comic book elements of it. But, you know, for Jackson, it's like... <laughs> Don't you hate it when your grandfather... <laughs> <laughs> but for Jackson, it's like, but it's an opportunity that I finally get to meet another family member. Like, I finally yeah. get to meet somebody who's not my mom and not my dad. And so what's that like? And it's not great at first. You know, there's definitely those generational differences and you know, coming at it from both sides, like, this is not who Jesse probably envisioned his grandson being. And this is not who Jackson envisioned his grandfather being. And so, mm-hmm. you know, is there, a, is there a medium? Is there a common ground there? Um, and well, the, then- fun, the fun thing that I found is that it's like the, the grandfather seems to have more in common with Black Manta. And he raised Black Manta the way he thought he should. Mm-hmm. But he turned out the opposite. So his grandson is like morally on the same ground as him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, the, but they don't have anything in common. So I feel like the grandfather, because that's the one thing is when, when uh, Jackson comes out to the grandfather, there's no, you don't see what the, re- I don't know if it'll be in the oh, second. I love that moment. Oh. But there is no reaction. It's just oh, the silence. silence. So then you're Ooh. like, hmm. And I'm sure <laughs> Jackson noted like, oh, he's not saying Whoa, anything. Awkward. Yeah. Let's, right. let's just move on from this. <laughs> and that's, and that's kind of the thing, right? Is like, you know, these, these, these little moments where you're trying to reveal yourself and show yourself to somebody. And, you know, sometimes silence is worse than anything, right? Like sometimes yeah. just, just people not responding to things at all is like, I wish you would have just said something. <laughs> you know, at least I could, could do something with that. Um, and really, you know, for, for, for Jackson, he's he's at the tail end of all this generational trauma, right? Like he is the latest generation coming up in this, and so many times it's it's extremely unfair to put this kind of pressure on, you know, seventeen year old kid to say, can you undo generations of toxic masculinity and like all these other things and like become a better person? Because that's basically what you're going to have to do, you know, if you want to, you know, overcome a lot of this stuff and. Um, you know, I, I think Jackson has a good heart and he's somebody who definitely wants, he wants this relationship with his, with his grandfather, but at the same time, you know, sometimes previous generations, a lot of their thinking is, okay, you know, I messed this up and I messed this up and I messed this up. And so I don't want to do it again, you know, but, but I, but I don't know another way, you know what I mean? So like the way that I treated David is how I'm going to treat Jackson, because that's, 
what I know and like all of all of the failures that I had in my life I want to prevent for him but like the only way I know how to do that is to be extremely hard on him and it's like is that going to work because it didn't work before so like mm -hmm. how how do you kind of rectify these two things so there's a lot of good tension back and forth between them in in both issues well the stakes are very high in this issue because Jackson, the only way for him to get this, this, uh, this, this Mac th th that his grandfather is in is he had to like make a deal with Black Manta, but it looks like that deal might end up causing him to destroy or do damage to the, to Zebel, which is where his possible new boyfriend is. So there's the stakes seem mm -hmm. very, very high. And I feel like it's all leading to, like he's gonna have no choice because Black Manta said, if you don't do this for me and you borrow this, I'm gonna come after you. So I feel like this is inevitably leading to him and daddy are gonna have to have some kind of confrontation. Yeah, there's, I'm excited there's, for. there's definitely gonna be you know, a lot of fallout from, from those decisions. Cause again, Jackson is looking at this as like, I don't want to be my dad, uh, mm -hmm. but you know, the only way for me to protect the people I love is maybe being my dad for 10 minutes here and then doing this thing for him. And so, you know, there's, there's definitely a lot of, again, push and pull between all those generations. So these relationships, they're so meaty and so they're just filled with so much, they're so robust. Um, and you've written, um, you've written another queer relationship in the Batwoman story you mentioned mm -hmm. earlier in, in DC Crimes of Passion, um, which was lovely, um, seeing Maggie and Kate kind of Thank put their you. shit aside. Um, <laughs> are there any comic book relationships out there, gay or straight, that you hope to tackle and write one day? Huh. Well, okay. So I, I think there's a few relationships that I really love. Like mm -hmm. I love Ralph and Sue Dibney, uh, elongated man oh, and his yeah. wife. Uh, and I think they, they've always had, cause there's some couples that just work, right? Like I think, you know, maybe not everybody knows, but hopefully everybody knows at least one, one couple where you're just kind of like, yeah, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm glad these two people found each other and they love each other and you know, it's working and it's not to say that they don't fight or they don't, you know, have disagreements, but it's like, but this like almost feels necessary. Like these two people need to be with each other. And even at the end of the 52 event uh, where, you know, Ralph and Sue kind of came back as ghosts, mm -hmm. you know, to solve crime in the afterlife. It was kind <laughs> of like, you know, they're going to be together forever. Like this is just meant to be. Um, so I love them. Um, I, I love obviously Maggie and um, Kate. And I think that's a relationship that like I love Maggie and Kate and I love Kate and uh, Renee. Uh, and I think, you know, mm -hmm. there's, there's definitely, you know, potential for either of those. If I had to choose, I would choose Maggie only because I feel like Kate and Renee are almost too close to each other in terms yeah. of like who they are as people. Yeah. And, you know, obviously you can say relationships require balance. It, you know, it doesn't always have, like everything doesn't only have to be one thing, but I think because of just the general nature of Kate and Renee, where they're both kind of reckless and they're both kind of like, they'll both go for broke, you, you know, like, all, you know, and you kind of like Maggie's kind of the one that says, Hey, wait a minute. Yeah. Before we yeah. do this, let's think <laughs> about it for a second. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think she, she offers Kate something like balance, but also like, you know, they're, 
they're similar enough in a lot of ways that they work, but they're also kind of different enough that, you know, those differences kind of work for the better. Um, and I think if I had to pick one more, I mean, God, I'd like to write more Jackson and Hawaii if that, if that yeah. was a possibility. We'd read um, it. I, somebody I really love is uh, Natasha Irons, who is um, Steele's niece. And, uh, you know, recently, I believe when she came back, she was in a relationship with Tracy 13. Uh, so it's, it's, it hasn't been explicitly stated, but I and a lot of other people are reading her as bisexual. And mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, that's, that's something a, you know, I would like to see more of that representation. Uh, but also B, uh, I think she is great in general as a character, but, um, you know, I, I like, I like the relationship with Tracy 13. Um, you know, there was an issue when she went on a date with Superboy, I remember back in the 90s. Um, and so, you know, kind of having superhero dating is so interesting. Like, there's just so many <laughs> ways for a lot of these things to go. Um, and I, I think that would be a lot of fun to write her, you know, with Tracy 13. But there's a lot of other kind of, you know, queer characters in the DC space that I think would be fun to kind of pair her up with, too. Hey, if you like bisexual representation, might we suggest uh, Leia Williams' X Factor, which just Ooh, dropped yeah. last yeah. week. Ooh, That's there's, awesome. Yeah. Dakin is Dakin's doing what he does. Yeah, yeah. And, and Prodigy, and Prodigy right. as and well. Prodigy and, too, yeah. 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 Oh, it's, 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 it's good. Um, <laughs> well, speaking of other works, are there any works that you'd like to call our audience, our attention to and our audience's attention to, whether that be in comics or, mm. or anything else? Um, is there anything you think is just particularly wonderful that we should be checking out? Boy, okay. Um, so I, I read a novel recently called Freshwater mm -hmm. uh, by Akuke Mezi, who is um, a transgendered African novelist. And they wrote this incredible book, basically from the perspective of this person who was kind of experiencing these things awakening inside of them and, and mm -hmm. kind of like just these this push and pull between what are described as gods you know who are kind of inhabiting their body um and just all the different directions that it goes is incredible it's like this very it's it, it gets surreal in places and then it gets really real in places and just kind of having you know these things go back and forth i think we're it was it was great to read. Um, so if you're looking for a book, Freshwater is a book I would recommend. If you're looking for a comic to read, um, I'm trying to think of things that have come out recently that I was like, wow, that's amazing. I love Jimmy Olsen. If you haven't read Jimmy Olsen, I don't know if that's going to be collected soon. The Matt Fraction? Yeah. One. Yep, yep. I love that a lot. Um, Here's what I would recommend. There's a book coming out by Image right now called Tartarus by Johnny Christmas, okay. uh, which is uh, a science fiction book that has a lot of, you know, different, it's got queer people, it's got people of color, it's got, you know, a whole bunch of different relationships going on, but it's done in a way that's like, I don't know if I've read a comic like this in a while where it just kind of feels like this whole immersive world is opening up each issue that you read it. You're just kind of like, what's that? Where's that going? Who are these people? What, you know, what? Like every time I, I pick up an issue of it, 
I'm just blown away by not only like the world building, but then, you know, just the storytelling with all the characters. So it's, it's Johnny Christmas and Jack T. Cole is the artist. Um, it's called Tartarus and it's four issues in now, maybe going on five. So I don't know. Well, we can Again, catch yeah, it's, it's easy to catch up. There might be a trade coming soon, um, but that, that would be my comic recommendation. Excellent. Thank you. And what about you in the future? What is, what's next for you and how can we support your upcoming work? Man, I am figuring that out. As <laughs> we speak. Sorry, totally put you on the spot. Uh, no, it's, it's great because I think, you know, obviously a, a million downsides to a global pandemic, uh, but I have found time to write because <laughs> I have time now. Uh, and so, you know, I have a lot of projects that I'm working on that are in different stages of development that hopefully will be seen in the next year or so. Um, and uh, I'm, I've got a few like, you know, just independent things that I'm working on that hopefully I'll be able to, you know, get, get some stuff going for in the near future as well. So, um, you know, I'll, if, if I have anything, you know, I'll definitely let you guys know about it, but it'll also be on all my social medias. Um, but definitely more, more projects are coming up. And why don't you drop that URL for us for your website so we can have people come check out your, your past work and just learn more about you. Sure. Uh, you can find me on the internet at jclarkcomics.squarespace.com. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at jrsosa18, jrsosa18. Um, and that's the same for Instagram too. Excellent. Well, Jordan, thank you for the story. Um, thank you for your time, for the wonderful conversation. Um, we have thank one final Aqualad. ask. <laughs> thank you for Aqualad. We have one final ask. Um, yes. Earlier, Evil Jeff and I played a little game, did a little exercise mm. where it was we based picked... off of Gail Simone started this. Yes, Gail okay. Simone's um, My Five X Men hashtag. Damn. Okay. So we're doing that. So no press. But yeah. we're wondering if you had to write a comic or you, you got your own X book. Boy. Could you pick five characters that would star in it? My thing with X-Men is I always gravitate to not it's, I don't want to call them like the lame characters, but like, Oh, so do we. We love the lame. We characters. love them. <laughs> they're always on the, they're never the stars. They're always on the periphery or they're always in the weird, weird, weird offshoot books. So my like dupe, dupe is in there for sure. Yes. Um, <laughs> I hate dupe, but I oh, appreciate man. it. I appreciate <laughs> those so who love them. Love, I love dupe. <laughs> Shark girl is in there. I love shark girl. Uh, I love, um, like, and because I because I'm drawn to the the weirder, more outsider characters. But then there's like the foundational characters that got me into X Men. So like, I love Nightcrawler, and any yes. chance to get to write Nightcrawler, I would be like, of course I want to do that. Um, I love Prodigy, so I'd probably find a way to work them in there. Um, I think that's four. That's four. So if I had to choose one, so this is where it gets tricky, right? Because obviously like I love Storm um, and uh, I love Jubilee and um, you know, a lot of people hate Beast. I think a Beast used in the proper way could be fun. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Colossus, Cyclops. Um, I would go with I probably I probably go with Storm. The team nice. needs a leader, you know. And I think uh, not that Nightcrawler couldn't lead the team, but like when you've got Shark Girl, Duke, 
and, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and Prodigy, who are all kind of, you know, like, they're doing their own thing. And then, you know, Nightcrawler is, is, is obviously a, a senior X-Men, uh, but, you know, Storm has those leadership qualities. So I would, those would be my five. It's a weird team. It's a good team. <laughs> Quality team. Yeah, I don't know what they would do. Well, I agree to disagree, but. Uh, well, Jordan, thank you so, so much. We really, really of appreciate course. it. Um, best of luck in the future. Everyone, please check out Aquaman 62 and 63 by Jordan Clark and Marco Santucci. Um, and thank you so much for listening. Bye. 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 Bye.